Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 this morning. Uh, It is just a fact that most people in this world don't know Jesus. Most people are lost and they don't even know it. Most of the people you're around at work and at school and in our community don't know Jesus. They may know of him. They may know a few facts about him. But they don't really know him. They don't really know who he is. What he came to do. And why his life should matter to them. And that's where we come in. That's where we are to shine. The unbelievers that are in your life and mine and that cross our paths have been placed there by God so that you and I can show them what a Christian really looks like. And so that you and I can share with them the wonderful truth about how all their sins really can be forgiven and how they can have eternal life and the hope of heaven. That's why we're here. To be salt and light in the midst of a lost and dying world. Do we view our life that way? Do I view my life that way? As being here for a purpose, a specific purpose. That I'm on a mission from God to be salt and light to all those the Lord puts in my path. Is that your purpose this morning? Your purpose in life? Is that your mission in life? To be light to those who are in darkness. In our text this morning, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is calling us to live a life on mission in the world for Jesus Christ. So let's look and see this call to mission in Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Let me read it for us. Paul writes, Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Hear the word of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord together now and ask Him to help us to rightly understand and apply His Word to our lives this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we need to be reminded of these things as we are easily drifting off of the mission You've given to us. So easily we drift away from the purpose you have given to us to be light to those who sit in darkness. To reflect the light of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the gospel hope that we have and carry around within us 
So Lord, remind us of our place in this world, of our mission in this world, of our purpose. And help us to get back on mission if we have drifted. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we saw that Paul called the Colossian believers to prayer. He says, devote yourselves to prayer in verse 2 of Colossians 4. And specifically, he asked them to devote themselves to praying for him, that he might be an effective communicator of the gospel. Look at verses 3 and 4 of chapter 4. Praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, that is the gospel, for which I have also been in prison, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Paul's asking these readers here to faithfully pray for him in the ministry of the gospel, in the proclamation of the gospel, that doors of opportunity for gospel advance would be opened up by the Lord, even though he is right now imprisoned in Rome. He's praying that the Lord would open up doors even from the midst of his imprisonment. And now in verses 5 and 6, he's going to urge them to share in this same gospel focus and mission in their own lives, in their own context. So verses 2 through 6 go together, but they can be divided up this way. In verses 2 through 4, Paul is calling them to talk to God about people in prayer. And in verses 5 and 6, he's calling them to talk to people about God. So talk to God about people and talk to people about God. And that's our focus this morning, to talk to people about God. Having talked to God about people. Praying for them and praying for gospel opportunities. We now step through the doors of gospel opportunity that God has opened up in answer to prayer. And we share the light of the gospel with them. Now, all of this falls under Paul's admonition back in chapter 3 and verse 17 that as Christians, we're to now live our lives, all of our lives, under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. We're to live our lives in the name of the Lord Jesus, under his lordship. With reference to him, with thoughtfulness about him, and and that we are serving him. We're but servants of him. Paul here in this letter is reminding these Christians and us that we are pilgrims and strangers. That we now live in a world in which we no longer belong. We're part of God's new creation order, an order that has broken in and is already, but not yet, a new creation order that has already begun and that is already at work and bearing fruit in the lives of Christians, but a new creation order that is not yet in its final and complete form, which will not happen until Jesus returns. As Christians who are part of this new created order, This new life in Christ, living in a world that is still part of the old order, that is decaying and passing away. How should Christians conduct themselves in such a world? 
How should they live their lives in this already but not yet reality? Well, Paul gives us the answer here in these verses, verses 5 and 6. And we're going to see this morning four ways we should conduct ourselves or live our lives with unbelievers in order to be an effective gospel witness to them. Four ways we should conduct ourselves with unbelievers. First of all, we should conduct ourselves with gospel-centered wisdom. We should conduct ourselves with gospel-centered wisdom. Paul tells us in verse 5 that we should conduct ourselves with wisdom toward outsiders. Literally, Paul says, walk in wisdom with unbelievers, with outsiders. To speak of walking is a Hebrew idiom. It's a Hebrew way of saying this is how you should live. This is how you should live your life. Back in chapter 1 and verse 10, Paul prayed that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Live their lives in a way that honors the Lord. So when Paul tells us how we should walk, he's telling us how we should live our lives. How we should conduct ourselves. And Paul has a particular focus here when he's thinking about how we should live our lives. And that focus is in our interaction with outsiders. How we live with outsiders. Now, who are the outsiders? It's the unbelievers. They are outside the covenant community of the church. Believers are insiders. Unbelievers are outsiders. Outside the covenant community of the church. As of now, they stand outside of God's saving grace. They are lost, and unless they trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior, they will die and face God's eternal judgment in the torments of hell. So Paul is very concerned with how Christians conduct themselves with those who are outside, with unbelievers. Now think with me for a moment. Who are the outsiders in your life? What faces come to mind when you think of the outsiders in your life, the unbelievers, those who are not yet believers in Jesus Christ? Whether they be unbelievers at work or at school or in the neighborhood or at the gym or at your favorite coffee shop, maybe even in your own home. These are the people that Paul has in mind for us. I, used to, I grew up watching Sesame Street. These are the people in your neighborhood, right? In your neighborhood. That's it. That's who Paul has in mind. Some of you are going to go look up that song. I know it. These are the people that Paul wants us to be careful about. To live our lives in wisdom before. It matters how we live our lives around them, before them, under their watchful gaze. And they're watching, aren't they? The more they know us and the more they know that we are Christians, the more they're watching. 
to see what this is all about, to see if it's true, to see if it makes a difference. It matters how we live our lives around unbelievers, and it matters for eternity. It's important to notice also here that conduct yourselves is a command. It's an imperative. This is how you should live. This is how you must live. With wisdom. It's not just a suggestion. Not something that's optional for us or that only applies to pastors or evangelists or those who are really good at sharing the gospel. No, this is for all of us. All Christians. This is how we are all to live. And it's also in the present tense, which means this is an ongoing action for us. An ongoing concern. It's not a one and done command. It's to be our continued way of life, our regular pattern pattern of living around unbelievers. So how then should we live around unbelievers? The first way we should conduct ourselves is with wisdom. We should walk with wisdom toward outsiders. This is very similar to what Paul wrote to the Ephesians at right around the same time. We've talked about that many times. There's so many parallels between the letter to the Colossians and the letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians 5.15 says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Don't be a fool, but be a wise person. Don't be foolish in how you live. Exercise wisdom in how you live. As Christians, we're to live our lives in wisdom. Certainly, this wisdom is not merely worldly wisdom. The false teachers at Colossae were living lives characterized by such seeming worldly wisdom. Their legalistic, man-made rules had the appearance of real wisdom, and that was attractive to people. People love a rule to follow. People love a box to check which feeds into their self-assurance that they can do it, that they can earn it. But it falls short of genuine heavenly wisdom. Colossians 2.23 says, Of these false teachers, these are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but they're of no value against fleshly indulgence. The false teachers only had the appearance of wisdom. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Proverbs 14, 12. No, we're to live according to heavenly wisdom, true wisdom, wisdom that's from above. I think to understand what kind of wisdom Paul is talking about here, it's helpful to see how he's used wisdom in this letter already. And so we're going to do just a quick survey. Go back to Colossians 1.9. Look how Paul used wisdom there. Colossians 1.9. So he begins the letter with wisdom. He ends the letter with wisdom. Godly, heavenly, gospel-formed wisdom. Colossians 1.9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we heard about you, we've not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's a supernatural wisdom. It's a heavenly wisdom. It's a gospel-wrought wisdom. Skip 
skip down to Colossians 1.28. Paul says, this is my method of ministry. We proclaim Christ. We proclaim Him. Admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. So that we may present every man complete in Christ. At the center of this wisdom is the gospel. Gospel wisdom. Colossians 2.3. Colossians 2.3. Speaking of Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of what? Wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom. Whatever wisdom is, is, it is always found in Christ and in Christ alone. He is the treasure chest of all wisdom. You can't get real wisdom without getting Christ too. Look at chapter 3 and verse 16. Speaking to the gathered church, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The wisdom of God, especially as it's found in Jesus Christ, who is the embodiment of wisdom, the treasure chest of all wisdom and knowledge, is to richly dwell within us. From these uses of the word wisdom, we can see that this wisdom is closely associated with God himself and his gospel. The good news that we can have our sins forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ alone and his finished work on the cross. This is the wisdom that's from above. Jesus is the true source of all wisdom and this wisdom is therefore centered in the gospel Good news that Jesus came to save sinners, both Jew and Gentile, every person. True wisdom, heavenly wisdom, begins with the gospel of Jesus, and true wisdom continues to find its source and center in the good news of Jesus. So, this wisdom that Paul has in mind is a gospel centered wisdom, it's not the Ben Franklin kind of wisdom. It's not the, you know, homespun, you know, wisdom of the farm. It's heavenly wisdom. It's gospel-centered wisdom. It's life-transforming wisdom. It's a wisdom with Jesus at the center of it all. So what Paul is calling us here is to live our lives with gospel-centered wisdom, a wisdom that keeps the gospel at the center of all that we do and all that we say. The gospel is always back of mind and front of mind. It's always there. It's always lingering. It's always in the air. It's always on our hearts, it's always in our minds, it's always on our tongues. We live in daily awareness of our gospel hope and our gospel calling. That is wisdom. Living in light of the way things truly are, that is wisdom. And this causes us to live wisely. We exercise good judgment based on God's revealed truth to us in His Son. It means we're to live like Christians. What a concept. 
Christians living like Christians. People who love Jesus and who are no longer living for themselves, but living for him who died for them. 2 Corinthians 5.15. This is the way of wisdom, and it is the way we are called to conduct ourselves toward outsiders, with gospel-centered wisdom. Nothing does more damage to the cause of the gospel than a professing Christian who lives just like the world. This is not living in wisdom. It is rather to live very foolishly. And it can bring great harm to the cause of Christ and to the advancement of the gospel. So Christian, the first step in living on mission is living like a Christian. Unashamedly, a follower of Jesus Christ. With the gospel at the center of your life, live in gospel-centered wisdom. All right, secondly, we should conduct ourselves with gospel intentionality. Gospel intentionality. Next in verse 5, Paul says that we should seek to make the most of every opportunity Along with living wisely, we are to seek to make the most of every opportunity. The English Standard Version says, making the best use of the time. The parallel passage in Ephesians reads this way, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Make the most of your time. Literally here in Colossians 4, Paul writes, redeeming the time. Buy back the time. Buy up time and opportunities for gospel advance. Invest in gospel opportunities. I believe Paul is calling us here clearly to live with gospel intentionality. To make the most of what we have for gospel purposes. To use our time wisely. To use our time and opportunities that come our way with a gospel-centered purpose and focus. To be looking out for gospel opportunities and to take advantage of every gospel opportunity that we find. To live our lives with gospel intentionality. It's similar to what Paul asked them to pray about back in verse 3 of chapter 4. That God would open up a door for the word, a door for the gospel. Praying for gospel opportunities and gospel advance. And a great example of this is Jesus with the woman at the well in John 4. You remember that story? Jesus' disciples have gone into town for lunch. Jesus is hanging out at a well in Samaria by himself in the middle of the noonday heat. And here comes a woman from Samaria, Samaritan. Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, and they certainly have no dealings with Samaritan women. And yet Jesus strikes up a conversation with her. He, he crosses that bridge. He initiates 
He opens up conversation by simply asking for something very natural. He asks for a drink. And that begins a whole conversation that Jesus continually points toward the gospel. Causing her to reveal more and more about herself, her beliefs, her interests, what she thinks. Giving him opportunity to share with her the truth of the way things really are. And what really matters and what's really important in this life. Of course we know she was gloriously saved. She was converted. She put her faith in Jesus Christ and she began to tell others. As a result, she was wonderfully born again. Jesus made the most of every opportunity. He took even a mundane setting at a well in the heat of the day and used it to turn it to a gospel opportunity, a conversation, reaching out, crossing over an uncomfortable situation and bringing life and hope to someone who had none before. To make the most of every opportunity begins by viewing unbelievers in our life rightly. Viewing the person who cuts your hair as not just a skilled person who performs a service for you, but rather viewing them as a person with an eternal soul who will spend eternity somewhere. To view your neighbor not just as the nice person across the street that you borrow tools from, but to view them as lost and dying and in darkness. Just waiting for someone to tell them and show them. To view your coworker not just as a collaborator on work projects, but as a person whose greatest need is Jesus. To view the unbeliever as they truly are, from an eternal perspective, from God's perspective. And it's no mistake that you, Christian, know them. And are in their life. That didn't just happen. You didn't just happen to be set down in your neighborhood where you are. God has a purpose for you there. And a big part of that purpose is for you to shine the light of Jesus Christ to those around you. To live on mission and to... To be intentional is to understand that you might just be the only link they have to ever knowing about Jesus. You might be it. There might be no one else. People talk about folks who live in a food desert, right? Where there aren't op opportunities for healthy food and and. and good choices for people to make and oftentimes it's in an urban setting, an inner city setting and, and people have to travel far, farther distances to, to find that. That's a food desert. How much more tragic is a gospel desert? And you might be the only hope. You might be the only light shining 
the only one in their whole life, in their circle of friends and acquaintances, who knows Jesus. Be that person for them. Step up to it. Be intentional. For some of us, this may mean that we need to find ways to be around lost people. You, maybe you work at a ministry and your neighbors are all saved and you come to church. And, well, you need to be intentional about that as well. And so do I. Finding ways to be around lost people. Jesus surrounded himself with lost people all the time. People who were far from God. He hung out with sinners. For some of you, it might mean inviting your neighbors over for dinner or s'mores on the deck or whatever. But be intentional in making relationships with lost people and intentional in pointing them to Jesus. Make the most of your time. Which, by the way, reminds us that the clock is ticking. We don't have limitless opportunities. Our time, our days, the days of this world are numbered. And everyone will spend eternity somewhere. Thirdly, we should conduct ourselves with gracious, gospel-transformed speech. Look at verse 6. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt. Let your speech be always with grace. Again, there's some similar instruction in Ephesians, which is helpful here in understanding what Paul's getting at. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. No rotten words. No stinking, past the expiration date words proceeding from your mouth. But only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. The world likes to say talk is cheap. And we get what they mean by that. But the Christian understands that words are weighty. That our words matter. Our tongues are powerful instruments that can either speak life-giving words of grace or our tongues can cause untold destruction. That's James's message in James chapter 3, that the tongue is a fire and that with just a spark, just a careless word, a cutting word, it can wreak havoc, cause a blaze of destruction, tearing down people. But because we're new creatures in Christ, created in Christ Jesus, our tongues can be used to bless others and advance the gospel. And Paul says here, our speech is to always be with grace, graciousness, gracious speech, all the time, every day, every word that comes out of our mouths is to be full of grace. Our speech is to be characterized by grace, winsome 
gracious speech, speech that edifies, speech that builds up. It's the same kind of speech that characterized the Lord. Luke 4, 22, as Jesus taught all who were speaking well of him, all were speaking well of him, and they were wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? Who is this guy? We thought we knew him until he opened his mouth. And then we realized, wow, look at the gracious words just falling from his lips. Jesus spoke in such a way that it caused people to sit up and take notice. Beloved, we live in a harsh world. A world that rips people apart with their words, whether it's in person with their voice or online with their comment. People speak all the time in ways that cut and tear down and destroy. But our words are meant to build up and bless. Gracious speech. This gracious speech is to be as though it was seasoned with salt. Salt has always been a flavor enhancer and a preservative. Please pass the salt. Christian, salt can make a meal go from bland to grand. And salt prevents things from becoming rotten. And so our speech is to be seasoned with salt. It's to be winsome speech, pure speech, preserving speech, life-preserving speech. Speech that honors God and is intended as a blessing to the listener. It's the opposite of rotten, unwholesome words, cursing, slander, gossip, lies, all of it, rotten speech. Ever clean out your fridge and find rotten food? Probably not. That's just us. No one wants to eat that, right? I wouldn't feed that to my dog. I, I, I don't even want to feed it to my sink. Get it out of here. I'll just throw the container away with it. You know, I don't want to mess with it. Let's put it in the garbage. Our speech is not to be rotten, but fresh and wholesome and gracious. Speech that is true and pure and honoring and life-giving. This speech that reflects the transforming power of the gospel in our own lives and at the point of our greatest vulnerability, our mouths. Our speech matters. What we say matters. You can't unring A bell. What you say around unbelievers who are listening matters. So make it matter. Make it count. We should conduct ourselves with gospel concern for each person. 
with gospel concern for each person. Paul closes out this instruction about our conduct toward outsiders by underscoring the importance of us knowing how we should respond to each person. He's emphasizing here the importance of having a fitting response to the questions unbelievers may ask of us or to the response they give toward us. Proverbs 25.11 says, Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. In other words, it's beautiful. It's fitting. You, wanna, you don't take apples of gold in settings of silver and stick it in the closet. It's welcomed. It's the centerpiece on the table, is it not? A word fitly spoken. Fitting speech is beautiful speech, welcome speech, winsome speech, because it values the listener and it is valued by the listener. Knowing how to respond to each person is similar to what Peter said in 1 Peter 3.15. He said, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense, to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Paul has already asked them to pray for him and chapter 4 and verse 4, that he might speak forth the gospel of Christ and make it clear and say it in a way that it ought to be spoken of, to use the right words and have the right tone and to say it in the right moment. That's the same idea here of knowing how we ought to speak and respond to each person and in each gospel opportunity. Paul says we should take care in how we respond to each person. This assumes that there's a kind of dialogue, a back and forth in conversation between the believer and the unbeliever. This means that we're not just going through some gospel script we've memorized robotically, as helpful as those things can be, but that we're rather engaging in a real conversation with a real person who has a real future in a real place of either joy or everlasting suffering. Knowing how we should respond to each person means we see the value and importance of each person and we love them individually and love them well in Jesus' name. Understanding that each person has a unique background, has unique beliefs, unique needs, unique concerns, and treating them as an individual and loving them as the unique person God created them as, and who are loved by God. And again, Jesus is our great example here. And again, back to the Gospel of John. In John 3... Jesus' gospel conversation with Nicodemus, who came to with him by night, is very different from the gospel conversation he had with the woman at the well in the middle of the day. In John 4, the very next chapter, John 3, Nicodemus, John 4, the woman at the well. 
Very different conversations that go along very different lines. But that's because they're very different people with very different backgrounds and very different needs and very different ideas and very different beliefs. And so Jesus takes up the challenge and he approaches them very differently. Same message. Same intent. Very different approach. Jesus treated each person uniquely, loved them individually, and spoke to them according to their situation in life. What's your mission in life? Do you have one? Is it the right one? What's your mission in life? We can all live for all kinds of things. We can live to work. We can live to play. We can live for money. We can live for love. But all of these things fall short of the mission Christ has given us. To make the most of every opportunity with outsiders, unbelievers. To love them in Jesus' name.